word. We're still going to be in the book of Ephesians, and we are actually in part 14 of our Connecting to Church series, and I entitled today's message, Overwhelmed by Love. And I'm going to talk about love, which for every Christian that has been in the church for like a million years, you go, oh, seriously, we're going to have another message on love. I've heard that before. Yeah, we're still not good at it, so I'm not so sure how much is actually getting through to us. So we're going to talk about it in a fresh way and actually from a slightly different perspective. I'm going to draw your attention in a moment here to the fill in the blank. If you are accessing the app, it would be there for you. If you're just taking notes, you might want to jot some of these things down. But I'm going to begin with just a couple thoughts I think we can all agree that Jesus is supposed to make a difference in the lives of his followers. Would you agree with that? I certainly hope you would, because there should be a difference between Christians and non-Christians. Not in a judgy way, not in a way of talking about how somebody is better than the other. I'm talking about the quality of life. I'm talking about a significant difference deep down by which we are drawing from. Our root has changed, so our fruit ought to be different, right? I mean, that's kind of how it's supposed to go. There needs to be a difference in actions, attitudes, and behaviors. And I'm going to talk about loving one another primarily in the church, but I'm also, anytime we talk about love, we're talking about loving our neighbors and loving our enemies, right? So let's talk about this for a moment. I unfortunately believe that for most of us, even that have been in the faith for a long time, we are fair-weather lovers, and what I mean by that is that we love other people when it works for us, when it's easy for us. But it is no great thing to return kindness for kindness. Loving when it's not normal is what highlights the glory of God and demonstrates us as Christians as being separate, distinct, and impacted by Christ. So picture it this way. If a non-Christian would do the same thing you're doing, you don't get credit for it. It's just kind of a thing I always have in the back of my mind that if somebody without Jesus is doing the same thing I'm doing, then it doesn't count yet. It's only the stuff that comes directly from the heart of God and would not be there normally that I tend to say that is a transformation in my life. Let me give you some examples on what difficult love means. As a matter of fact, Difficult love is very, very different. It's not kindness for kindness. It is love because. Let me give you some examples just so we can get real personal here. Ready? Real love means finding a way to bless those of a different political party than you. Real love means forgiving the one who hurt you really bad. Real love means healing and repairing your failing marriage when you don't have any feelings for your spouse. Real love means holding your tongue when you are insulted by someone or you are slighted by someone. Real love means giving drivers on the road the benefit of the doubt. Real love means sowing seeds of health into your dysfunctional family and not letting the bitterness grow. Real love means putting more of your money toward the needs of others and not just yourself. Here's the fill in the blank on that app in front of you. Weak love is no love at all. Weak love 
is no love at all. You see, last time we were together, I shared a little bit with you in the book of Ephesians, and we talked about how to live this new life in Christ. If we have truly been transformed, if we are new creations, if we have been born again, then there needs to be a difference. We have to put off the old and take on and learn the new. So what needs to be different in us? Because it's a total overhaul. It's a transformation from our distorted, normal nature of humanity to a purified, healthy, supernatural life. So last time we were together, we read where Paul told his congregation there's four areas right off the top we need to see some difference and some transformation if the Holy Spirit is in our life. Let me recap those for you. We need to be men and women of honesty and transparency versus lying and manipulative. We need to be men and women of strong work ethic and generosity versus stealing and taking and greed. We need to be life givers with our words, not those that tear other people down, and that we need to have patience and kindness and not be led by our anger into, into damage. So the question comes up, all right, we're on a roll. What else needs to be transformed in our lives? And Paul continues that list as we pick up in our passage today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30. Going to give you a second just to turn there. We're going to be going through Ephesians 4, 30 through 5, 2, right? So it looks like we're really moving here in the book of Ephesians. Well, let's see how that goes. Let's go ahead and read it together if you've been there already. It begins like this. I'm just going to read the whole passage together, and then we'll go back and we'll tear it apart. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and uh, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Wow, pretty powerful, yeah? Well, let's dig into this and take it one piece at a time. We begin in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, it says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this is not a brand new thought in the letter. As a matter of fact, if we go back to chapter 1, Paul already explained this, and now he's just building on it. Let me read that in case you missed it. It's in chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what he said. He said, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him or you put your trust in him and gave your life to him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So now, building on that, we go back. It says, do not grieve that Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's what that means. Our actions 
attitudes and behaviors affect the Holy Spirit. We just simply need to understand how, why, and what. Our actions, attitudes, and behaviors affect the Holy Spirit. In what way? Do you realize that just as much as we think about Jesus Christ being a man that walked among us and he had, when Judas betrayed him, that hurt his heart. None of us seem to have a problem imagining that. But yet, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he's personal. He's a he. He cares. He connects. He relates. He has emotions, feelings. And we just need to understand that meanness to one another stings his heart because he takes it all very personally. Why? Because he cares indescribably for us. It also means this, when we are disunified, when we are arguing or mean or nasty, whenever we do those types of things, we are getting in the way of him doing his work. He is fully focused on what is good and right. He is about his agenda because it's the only one that matters. He has things he wants for his creation and when we operate in selfishness, it brings in a different agenda to the table and it hinders his work. You see, we all think that what we're doing is not that big of a deal because it's just about us. I gotta tell you that when your life is God's, everything we do impacts him. And everything that he does impacts us. We are now what, even when we talk about human to human becoming one flesh, it says now with Jesus Christ and God, we are now one in spirit. Everything we do affects one another. Disunity divides his body. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the source of all unity. So anything that is hurtful or disunifying is a direct assault on him and his works. So it says, do not grieve, do not sadden, do not frustrate, do not anger the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does that mean? Well, it means, and this is beautiful, If you need a little bit of hope, this is a little dose of hope right there for your soul. It means that God has put his mark of promise on us. That when all is said and done, he will get us home and he will make things right. You see, God put a portion of himself in every Christian as proof and promise that we will be with him. And he refuses to be divided, so in the end, he will draw all of himself, including all of us, back to him in the end. If you ever just needed to say, you know what, everything is frustrating right now in my life, is it ever going to get better? The Bible says over and over on almost every page, Of course it is. God is in control. Let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 31. He said, since we are different, here's some other things that we need to work on in our lives. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now we covered that an awful lot last week, so I don't want to take the time to be able to go all the way back through it. I'm going to highlight a couple things for you, but if you missed that message, you can always go back for free and take a listen to it. I think that uh, we kind of centered 
seriously on the issue of anger, if there is anything that you wanted to learn in that area, that might be a beautiful message for you to listen to. But let's talk about, for a moment, about where does anger come from? Because that's what we covered. So let me just say it real fast. Anger comes from hurt and fear. Anger comes from hurt and fear. If we don't deal with it properly, it turns into a toxic mixture in our hearts and it comes out being mean to people, right? So I already preached on that. Here's my addition. We need to deal with our hurt and our fear. We need to deal with our stuff. I know that sounds harsh, but here's the reality. We're not very good at dealing with our stuff. As a matter of fact, we do just enough healing to be okay. We will only go to the counselor until we're okay, until we can get by. We will only go through the medication process until we're okay and we get by. We will only do the hard work and the reflection work and the spiritual discipline work until we're okay. The problem with it is that just okay fails in times of tension, challenge, and trial. We don't want to do the deep work, but we need the deep work done because when the bad times hit, that all falls apart. It is not okay to be dysfunctional if God has given us the ability to be whole. We need to get to completely healed for the sake of Christ, for the sake of ourselves, and for the sake of other people. It's part of the stewardship of our bodies and our minds. Let's keep moving forward. Go to verse 32. 32 says, in contrast to that, what is our new life supposed to look like? It says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Y'all, we live in a really harsh culture right now. What is so ironic to me is that we have never pushed a more PC culture, a politically correct culture than right now. As a matter of fact, outwardly, even on TV and media, you will be shamed for not being tender to certain people's issues. And yet, while that is being pressed on the outside, there's been an escalation of negativity, meanness, and spite, and rudeness. It's so bizarre because all the demands to be nice on the surface can't change the human heart. The problem isn't on the surface. The problem isn't our words. The problem is our hearts. And until we dive down and heal up, the continued bad words are still going to come out. The ability to be healed, the ability to be kind is a gift from the Lord and kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Christians are held to a higher accountability to be speaking life and being kind and tender-hearted. So what does kindness look like? Once again, let's get real practical. Kindness means that there is a deference given to other people in a way that blesses them. Here's what it looks like. You ready? Kindness looks like letting someone with two items in their grocery basket go ahead of you in line because your basket is filled for Y2K. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? You're going to take forever. 
Kindness is paying for the bill at a meal when you can for a friend just to bless them. Kindness is calling and checking on someone who's having a hard time instead of just thinking nice thoughts about them. Kindness is not yelling at your kids just because you're in a bad mood. You see, kindness in a Christian sense isn't just kindness for kindness. It's kindness because... What does tenderheartedness look like? That was the other word thrown in there, right? Tenderheartedness looks like gentleness. It looks like compassion. Let me give you some examples. To be tenderhearted would look like entering into someone else's story when they're hurting and grieving along with them. Tenderheartedness looks like understanding when someone has a bad day and not just telling them to man up. Tenderheartedness means walking patiently with the needy, the extra grace required folks in your life. You see, Jesus was these things. He was kind. He was tenderhearted. We need to be just like him. And he didn't do it because everyone was nice to him. I think that part is super clear. Let's keep moving forward. What else should we put on? We should be forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave us. One of the reasons we aren't nicer to other people is because we never healed properly from the last altercation. You see, we aren't good at doing the necessary work to even heal there. So what happens is when we have an altercation with someone, we do the surface work to where we're just okay with that person. But the minute another offense comes up, we're right back into the same place. If you are quick to get mad at them again, it largely means we didn't fully heal from the first one. Now, I want to be real clear on something because when we start talking about forgiveness, it starts getting into a lot of touchy subjects because many of us have been wounded and abused in very significant ways. And I don't ever want it to make it look like I'm, I'm just glossing over that, that I'm saying that what they did was right. What they did was wrong. I'm calling it as it is. What I'm telling you is in light of God, things take on a different tone. And so let me be very clear. Christianity is designed on a cascading overflow concept. In other words, God does the heavy work and then he initiates it into us. So he loves us first, he forgives us first, he gives grace to us first, he's tender first, he's patient first, right? And as we are filled up and as we are transformed, it's supposed to be a natural progression to overflow those same pieces on other people. God is never commanding or demanding that we scoop out of emptiness. If we're scooping out of an empty well, that means we haven't allowed God to fill it. God does not demand something we can't give. He's saying, I have poured it on you so abundantly, it should be natural and easy for it to flow out of you onto other people. If we are finding our hearts scarce or empty, there's something we aren't understanding about the nature of God, what he's done for us and what he is doing for us. If we are struggling to forgive, and I got to tell you, there are areas of my life I'm still struggling to forgive. This is a we thing. 
if there are areas of struggling to forgive, at the heart of it is understanding two things. You may want to write this down. What God has done for us to forgive us is number one. If we're struggling to forgive, number one, we need to remember what God has done for us to forgive us. And number two, write this down, allowing his healing into our lives. Allowing his healing into our lives. If we're struggling to forgive, it has something amiss in knowing who God is, knowing what God's done, and allowing him to do a work in us. To struggle to forgive doesn't mean the other person did an extra violation. It means that we have yet to allow God to restore us. You understand how we can only work on us? We can't work on the other person. We can only work on us. So let's talk for a moment about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing a person from our judgment and our penalty. So if you think about it this way, uh, when we get mad, we want to take on the authorization of reality, meaning we want to say what is wrong and right as if we knew, and then we want to penalize the people in our justice. Does that make sense? But forgiveness is allowing God to take over the situation, and then we shift back into a place of peace and blessing. In other words, the judge role, the condemning role, the penalty phase is now handed back over to God. We now release that role and shift into a place of peace and blessing. What it does not mean is forgetting or losing the wisdom that we gain from that interaction. We don't become ignorant in forgiveness. We're still wise. As a matter of fact, having gone through it, we are all the more wiser. And we take that new information about how we want to set boundaries. Nevertheless, when it comes to the judgment and penalty phase, that part is handed over to God. Now, how do we do it? Now, this is something that is easier said than done, yeah? But here's what I see. It is a daily and sometimes minute-by-minute minute choice to leave it in God's hands and play a different role. We do it by thinking about the big picture continually and not letting the enemy stoke the fire of hatred in our hearts. We allow all the movement and release that God does allow along the way to actually work in our lives and not just shove it back because we're mad. Let me be real personal with you. There are times when I have held something against someone because they wounded me. And then I was in a church service and God came powerfully and I felt like I could release it. And there have been times when I held onto it anyway because I didn't want them to get away with it. When I hang on, even when God gives me release, that is disobedience. He's saying, listen, I gave you the grace today to let it go. I need you to let it go. I'm just saying, can we please just allow even the transformation and power of God to advance us forward as opposed to even resisting him? He's not the problem. And no, people don't just get away with stuff. God is a just and good God. He knows. Let's pick it up in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... The Bible says, 
Be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. I'm going to give you three different levels here, A, B, and C, on what this might look like for you. First of all, let's begin at the very base level. Let's start at A. we got to begin with the image of God, what in Latin is imago Dei. That is in all people. Let me explain. All human beings are marked with the image of God. That means to a certain degree, all human beings are held accountable to be like God in certain ways. So for example, the ability to reason, general kindness, loving to some people, creative, strategic, all those things come from merely being made in the image of God. And it also speaks to how we must treat every person with respect because God's image and his glory is marked on them. So God demands respect for all of his stuff. To disrespect another human being is to disrespect the author, master, and creator himself. That's level one. If we want to talk about basic Respect for human beings, that's the common level of all human beings. That's A. But Christians are a level up from that. Let's go to level B. Christians are made into the image of Christ. So it goes a whole step further when we're talking about Christians. They have the benefits of the general image of God being human, but then the Holy Spirit came in, turned on the light, and lit them afire in true spiritual life, meaning who we were really intended to be. And we became more than human. The image increased. We are now partakers of the divine nature, the Bible says, which means we have God indwelling us, transforming us, changing us from the inside out. We have the word of God that gives us new revelation, renewing our minds on a daily basis. We as Christians have the role model of Jesus. We have the support of the saints. We have so many things that the rest of the world doesn't have that are shaping us into who we were designed to be. Therefore, there is no excuse for us not to be like the Father. Have you noticed that periodically I just don't take a breath, I just keep talking? And you always wonder, hmm, how is that possible where he talks with no air? I wonder the very same. Let's move on. Let's go to the next level up. If we're going to get intense about this, let's go one more level up because I talked about basic humanity. Then I talked about how Christians are different without excuse. Let's talk about the next level up. Let's talk about the passionate sold out. I'm not talking about just being saved. I'm talking about being on fire. Some Christians are sold out to Christ so they take advantage of everything that he gives them. They're the one, they are the ones who are soaring through life like on the wings of eagles. They're the ones who are excelling in love. They're the ones operating out of a whole and healthy identity. They are the healed ones that pour out comfort on other people because they've received comfort from God. They are the ones that live without regret. They're the ones that utilize everything God has given us that his word says is everything we need for life and godliness. They know the secret to being content, and they live and bask in the love of God. They're the different ones. Don't you want to be like that? I know I desperately do. So I'm trying to let God have his way in me. Let's finish it out in verse 2. It says this, And walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let me read another verse that maybe makes it clearer. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, meaning the only reason we know what love is in its most intense form, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We gotta let that dwell richly in our spirits today. Jesus came as our example. He didn't come with all his God stuff. He set that aside and said, I'm going to live as perfect humanity with the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that we are without excuse because Jesus lived a life that we can live. Our actions, attitudes, and behaviors are a glory issue for God. We are either raising up or tearing down the image of God. We are either taking away from or adding glory to his name. Let me finish out with saying this. I love the insight in Barclay's commentary. He talked about how when the Greeks were training someone else in oratory skills, like an apprentice, they had three levels. Here's three things you needed to do to learn it best. Number one, theory. Number two, imitation. Number three, practice. Number one, theory. Number two, imitation. Number three, practice. Isn't that the same truth with all apprentices? Number one theory, we gotta know what we believe. We gotta know what Jesus did. We gotta know what God's word says. We gotta know God. Number two, we need to imitate the master. Everything that he does, we duplicate here in the modern world. And number three, we practice. We keep working on it and working on it and making it better until it starts to look more and more like Christ. In my opinion, y'all, it is time that we start looking different from the unbelieving world. Once again, if a non-Christian can do the same thing that you're doing, we don't get any credit for it. We're trying to shine bigger and brighter to let people know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit makes a difference. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have done so much and cascaded into our lives this beautiful forgiveness, this extraordinary grace, such patience, such love. Would you allow it to richly soak in and heal us that we might cascade out and pour out to everyone around us. Lord, you said that you would bless us, that we might be a blessing to the ends of the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.